the world needs more women with tech skills. At the Dottie Rose Foundation, we encourage, support, and educate girls who have an interest in technology and want to learn how it can be used to enhance their learning and future careers. Our camps demonstrate that most future career paths will benefit from developing a wide range of increasingly important technology and software skills. We accomplish this through mastering computational thinking, boosting self-confidence, and creating new possibilities for each girl. Visit DottieRoseFoundation.org. Welcome to Coding the Future with Dr. Sharon Jones. This is an education-based show focusing on tech careers and how to incorporate the important aspects of technology in your current work. Each show brings you closer to tech success. Now, here's your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. Hello, and welcome to Coding the Future, an education-based show to give information and action tips to working adults to guide them to a new level of tech savvy through leveraging their own skill set. We share the inside scoop on tech trends, explain how to leverage current technology in your career, and explore how your talents can be the key to your tech success. I'm your host, Dr. Sharon Jones. I'm an educator, a technologist, entrepreneur, mom of two incredible boys, lover of all things coffee and wine, an avid list maker, and a lifelong learner and so excited to be here with you today. I'm honored that you've tuned in for this hour of Coding the Future and so glad that we are able to learn together. Today's show is going to be a conversation. You know, this past year has been quite an adventure, as, as we all know, and we've brought it up in many different ways and forms and thought processes as we have navigated 2020, the pandemic, the wearing a mask, the not wearing a mask, the in school, the out of school, Zoom meetings, no in person, in person. And we really have found a way to make it through, which is pretty impressive um, considering all of the obstacles that were sent our way. But today what I wanted to have a conversation about is something that's near and dear to my heart. And that is all around focusing, all around, and focusing on education. This past year has really opened a lot of eyes and minds to the way in which our education system has been set up and whether or not it's really a positive for our students. There is a lot of positives around public education. I mean, the opportunity for a child, every child to have the opportunity to, to receive an education is something that is an incredible gift that we have in this country. And that is something that I think is at the core of everything we do with education. We want to make sure our children have the opportunities and the exposure and are able to learn and embrace learning at a, at a, in a way in which they are able to take that to what, wherever they want to go. However, sometimes public education can also get muddled amongst the minutia, the, what, the words that I kind of think about is that sort of the negative of scalability of trying to make it the same for all, which we want to have the same access, but we know that children often need differentiation in terms of how they learn and how they're able to succeed. So today I want to talk a little bit about how do we think creatively about supporting education? 
I am a lifelong educator. I have been a computer science teacher for the past 20 years, and it has been the greatest joy, and it also has been quite difficult as a career, navigating the advancements of technology while also understanding all of the ins and outs of making it applicable to the structure of education. And But the, the biggest joy, of course, is being able to work with students and educators. As teachers, you know, we walk into being an educator, not for the money. We all know that that's not why, but because there is an ultimate give back, there is, a, there is nothing better than watching a child smile and seeing that light bulb go on when they have learned something new or accomplished a goal. It, there just honestly isn't anything better. And when you are teaching, that is why you do the do. <laughs> you get up every day because those children are just incredible humans. And as a high school teacher, I spent so much time working with young people and watching their uh, wonderful brains absorb information and then find the applicability of how what they were learning could be used in what they were doing in everyday life. And I also saw that that was something that was missing amongst a lot of the way in which we implemented curriculum. You know, when curriculum is written for students, it's, it's written and then it's asked to be implemented. And sometimes there's a, there's a discrepancy between when you write and when you actually implement. So what I wanted to think about is as community members, as educators, as business partners, as those that support the education field, how can we take this opportunity of the pandemic to address and embrace and support education to really give, to lift our children up and give them the opportunities that really will be applicable to their careers and to, for the betterment of our society. So I wanna think about this in three different ways. The, the, the ultimate overview here is to think about a concept that I've, you know, it's been around for a while and I, I've talked about it in different ways and over my career, but it's the concept of the whole child and how we educate the whole child. What I want us to begin to embrace or switch our mindset to is that education is not a silo. We as a community need to embrace the education system and the education system needs to embrace the community. It's not a one-way street. Both education and business and families need to come together. It's a really beautiful circle. If we can take what we do with our families, with our community and our schools and create quite a synergy, the results are going to be astounding. Instead of siloing in between each individual piece, thinking about the flow. Now, of course, there is, uh, we, we all have to silo in some capacity because we have to accomplish goals. But at the end of the day, if the mission is to make sure that we're all communicating with one another, it's gonna change our perspective on how we are supporting the next generation and how that next generation can understand what we're doing. So as a whole child, you know, the whole child is really embracing all the pieces that are 
what we consider learning, right? So when we learn, there's an academic piece, there is a um, hobby piece, <laughs> there is uh, learning um, through cultural experiences, there is learning through reading, through writing, through watching a movie. There is learning that happens um, just in general conversation. I have a great friend who's been on this show as well, Renee Hauser, that says, you know, you're even learning to read when you are imagining or you're building with Lego blocks. That imagination and that ability to be able to transfer words in your head, because you're probably, even as you're building Legos, you're thinking, I'd like to stack this, or maybe I should put this Lego here, and then I'm going to put this one here. You're automatically using words and creating a, a syntax in your brain for for reading and writing. But the three areas that I want to focus on today in terms of really elevating this whole child approach and thinking creatively about how we support education is through our partnerships between community and education, giving students a voice, and investing in our families. Relationships, relationships, relationships are the core to just about anything we do. And the, all of these pieces all focus around that cultivation and communication around relationships and supporting the circle, the wonderful circle and connecting the dots. You know, I was doing some research a bit about how we've sort of gotten to where we are in public education. And, you know, as I mentioned at the core, everything we do is really is about serving the kids. We, we have a our ultimate mission, of course, is always to serve children. But there has been a, a structure that's put in place that has really sort of tried to put our children in a box or in what I call a quantitative, quantitative meaning numbers, where we try and quantify their learning. And there is a level that we need to quantify. There is some pieces where testing and understanding through a multiple choice question is important to be able to get a baseline. But it's not the ultimate X, Y, or Z of what a child has learned. And it's by no ways a way we should define how a child has been successful in a particular grade level. So I wanna read you something that has happened over the years. I, um, I find this uh, really interesting, but um, there was a study that was done about a progressive approach to education and how when really came when John Dewey first came out with the concepts of education was all about giving students opportunity and voice and exposure and give, providing them opportunities to read and write, which was at the core at that time what we needed. So it showed that uh, a study was done um, pre-World War II for a victory for progressive education, which was objectively proven to generate better educational outcomes for children. And what I mean by progressive education is uh, really giving students the opportunity to learn at their own pace, to work through a concept and work to it through mastery, but you do it at a pace that um, what I would call is learning at your own frontier, where you learn it, you may stop and have to go back and then go forward again. It's really a very um, student voice-led concept. There was a positive victory for progressive education. 
But soon, World War II erupted and the United States entered into a familiar shift of men who were sought after to go to the war. And that particular era began to classify soldiers through what we call psychological testing, matching um, soldiers with places to go. They started using IQ tests to figure out how they would uh, work within the structures of the um, military. And that was kind of the beginning of what we call a wave of mechanization and standardization and that swept through our nation. And what that means is there was this sort of, I don't know, the structure that came into place where when World War II came out, and, and believe me, the way in which we had to uh, be reactive and support our country was important. And so there had to be a structure in how soldiers were recruited and then placed in the, in the right area. But what happened is that worked in the military. And so it was then thought that would work in other areas within our culture. And so scientific data aimed at measuring the competence became a gold standard in elevating our children and compare, uh, care and compassion were chased out of the classroom. That is a statement from the book Wildflowers that was um, written by Jonathan Raymond. And what he means by that is because there was success in how the military was able to standardize and, uh, and figure out how placement of the soldiers, it was thought that this would be the way in which education could also be used. You know, and there was probably a time in which that probably was effective, you know, when we uh, bridged into the Industrial Revolution and then beyond, we were in a different time. It was a, you know, there was a sit and get kind of culture where you could listen and receive information. But we have changed so dramatically over the past 50, 60, 70 years that that is not necessarily where we stand now. So that being said, standardized testing is a part of our fabric of education. And there is a place and need for that in terms of just some basic quantitative information that is needed to support our children. But it should not be the gold standard and it should not be the end all be all. We need to return to the concept of the whole child. And this is where I'm going to come back to my three pieces about how do we support education in a way in which even though standardized testing will still be a part of the fabric of what we do in education, how do we really take that as only one piece of supporting education and really transform our mindset to think about how we support the whole child? So let's start a bit about private and community slash private entity, business entity, and education partnerships. One thing that's really important is that children are able to see the content that they are learning, how it is applied beyond the four walls of the school. And that is where the importance of business and education partnerships come together. You can call it private, you can call it public, you can call it 
community-based, but it's really elevating the business and community leaders together with education to provide opportunities for students to see beyond the four walls. Now, on the flip side of that, it's also important for our businesses to be able to come into the school system or come into the school and see the children and how the children are learning, applying, and being able to understand what the next generation is, how they're working through content. You know, technology has been a huge part of everything that we have done over the past 20 years in particular. I mean, it goes beyond that. But when we were able to hold a computer in our hand with a smartphone, it really transformed the way in which we interact. And the young people coming through today have a different perspective on how they use and interact with technology than those of us that didn't grow up with that. I often say I didn't get an email address until I was uh, in college. So it's important for our business community, even if you have your own children, to go into a school and see how children are interacting with, with each other, how they're using technology, how they're using different concepts to teach children. Now, let me also go back to some of the positives of public education. There has been a lot of work around changing the way uh, we deliver content to students. I mean, for many years, it was a lecture, you know, kids were sitting and getting, and there's still quite a bit of that in our system, but so much has changed in which the way we have stations and we have group learning and we have students that are engaging in project-based learning and different modes that are more reflective of what happens in the business. But I just think it's really important that our business community and our education community come together and share insights. You know, two brains are better than one. Sharing the work and how they have set up curriculum for their students to learn and how we can take that curriculum and make sh and, and apply it to what's happening in the business world. We still need the core concepts of how to rewrite and do arithmetic, math and but even more so, how do we take those three basic learning pieces of reading, writing, arithmetic, and then apply it to a business problem of how you're actually gonna use it in everyday life? And providing exposure and insights from the community and business bring value, application, vision, and purpose, and forge a partnership for students to see how they can see themselves out in the community. So that's the first piece. And it's really, and what I want you to think about is this doesn't have to be a huge step. It could be a simple step where your company volunteers in a classroom. If you're an educator, it's a simple step of looking at some of the content that you are going to be teaching and thinking about a member in your community who is either in that field or could support or come in and speak to students or come in and lead um, an activity. And that activity could be you know, anything that is, um, I often think about uh, mathematics and, and cooking. I think about mathematics and agriculture. I think about reading and writing and theater. I think about uh, reading and writing in comment strips. I think about reading and writing in creating a uh, flowchart for how you want an application to work. 
all of those things come together. Um, I'm also thinking about uh, reading and writing and mathematics, even within the marketing sector. Is there a great marketing company in your community that can come in and speak to students about how they're applying the reading and writing? You know, I am very mathematically driven versus where I stand with writing. Of course, I, I can communicate and write, but I, I enjoy working with those that writing becomes very natural to them. So it's really wonderful to work with those that do a lot of technical writing, that do a lot of marketing, that do um, communication, business, com business plans and communications, and having those conversations so students can see that when they're learning to write the proper syntax in English, how important it is and how important using great vocabulary is to tell others about your idea or your concepts. So that's the first area where I see that whole child implementation. And let me just go back and, and give you a, another perspective about what is the whole child philosophy. And that is really understanding how to take the whole child and be able to foster conversation, growth, and learning around all aspects that make us a full person. So that is through academics. It is through our senses. It is through doing, right? One of the things I've often mentioned whenever I'm learning something new is that we often have to do something at least seven times for it to register in our brain. And throughout that seven times of repetition, we need to engage all of our senses. We need, and, and maybe taste is not always a piece, but we need to engage multiple senses in order for it to truly sink in and that wrinkle really happen in our brain. But it, that whole child philosophy is properly understanding and extending <clears throat> and extends outward to redefine the concepts of community and caring for children. If the whole child is at the center and the school forms a ring of support around that child, the outcomes are exponential. So I want you to think about that. More as important as learning the academic piece is important as supporting that social and emotional learning and engaging all of the senses for a child to truly feel that they can succeed and fail in a classroom. Part of what's happened over time where we have standardized the way in which we teach is that that opportunity for failure can sometimes be washed out. And that's much what Jonathan was saying in terms of that concept of caring and being able to have compassion for students can. And this doesn't this doesn't happen on purpose, but it can happen when we focus on that standardization, when we're trying to put everybody in in a category and across the line say, this test is going to indicate whether or not you're here, here, or here. And we just know in anything that we do that that can't always be the case. You know, when I was earning my um, teaching certificate, I you have to take a praxis exam. And so when I was earning my teaching certificate, part of what I, what I did was, um, you have a final project and I actually just pulled that out the other day and looked at the unit plan that I had planned. You, you create a portfolio or I did in my master's program 
uh, my teaching reflections and things of that nature and then which was really great and I that was amazing because it really could show what I could do as an educator but the other part of it too was that you needed to pass a praxis exam which is a multiple choice exam and you know multiple choice although you know I have my my um pluses and minuses for it. Now, I understand sometimes there's just a baseline of what we have to do. And, and that is what it is that, you know, that I don't have any argument about that. That is a standard in which I don't think should ever go away. I think it's a part of what we need in terms of gaining our, um, uh, you know, gaining a certificate. Well, there is a place for it. But anyway, point being is that I also have a bit of test anxiety and I will always second guess myself. So it actually took me three tries to pass my praxis, praxis exam. And I remember feeling like such a failure after the first time I took the exam. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, I had done all this work and I was so proud of, you know, my portfolio and I'd finished my student teaching and I felt like I was ready to go to the classroom and then boom, I did not pass that exam. I was still able to go into my teaching practice and I, I had to pass it before the end of my first year of teaching, which I ended up doing. But of course, it took me two more tries to get to that um, end. But it didn't define me as a teacher. It was a part of me as an educator. But what I, when I think back to that time, I always believe there's a reason for things for happening. But that that failure of not being able to you know, pass that exam and I put quotation marks, really pushed me to think about how did I learn and how could I take how I learned, which was very much of application based and put that into play when I did my multiple choice test. And that ultimately was what ended up getting me to pass the exam. But what my point to this is, is that there is a place for multiple choice, but we cannot forget the how. How do we support the whole child to be able to take that multiple choice exam, but also be able to take the skills they've learned and apply it in their everyday life and be able to be a usable skill set in their career or in uh, their, their future, whatever they choose that to be. Okay, so the first piece again is talking about that community business partnership and bringing both education into the businesses and bringing and businesses into education. The second piece in really thinking creatively about how we support education is giving students a voice. When uh, in education, we are guilty of writing curriculum and sending the curriculum out and saying, okay, educators, implement this. And sometimes that is a great framework and we and we need the guidance of that curriculum but it all often is not the end-all be-all and how we should actually implement that curriculum because every school every classroom every student has their own mindset they have their own what I call mojo every school has its own mojo and culture and so does every classroom so I encourage as educators and as those of us that work in education to think about when we're writing curriculum or writing a framework for how we'd like for content to be uh, shared with students, that we offer the opportunity for educators to allow students to have a voice. And what that means is you can give students a framework of what the ultimate goals are that we are to learn. 
but they can help in creating the short-term goals that go into achieving the end game. So whatever that end game is for English or math or science or, or computer science or, or any other subject that art, um, music, whatever our end goal is, giving students the opportunity to help structure the way in which we implement. It, it's a little bit uncomfortable for teachers because we're used to being in that, that seat of um, the expert, and we, and we still are in many, many ways, but the children can offer you know, an opportunity to, from their perspective, how would they see getting to the end game? It could be through reading a book, it could through be project learning, it may be through lecture. It may also be through doing conversation or having collaboration or create time. You know, there's lots of different ways that students can have a voice. And as those of us that are working, we want in, in the field of education and as educators, stopping and evaluating how even if we're on a tight curriculum schedule, and I know there is a lot of a content that's been implemented where there's very uh, placed out goals that you must meet. But how do we meet those goals, but by also honoring the learner? And the learner is the child. And we want them to embrace that learning and feel like they can be excited about reading a new novel or reading a new vocabulary word or learning a new way in which to solve a problem having inquiry. You know, I was interviewing um, a, a CEO of a company and one of the things she mentioned was that the way in which she has been able to be successful is that she had her curiosity is always at the top. And I got to thinking about that a little bit because sometimes I feel that in this standardization of what's happened in terms of end of course testing and and sort of this scalability of how we've worked with the general outline of public education is that curiosity can be lost and we can get inundated or, or brought down by that minutiae this has to be done or this has to be done and and listen i've been there i know it there are many days I would sit at the end of the day and cry because I felt like I'd never, I didn't actually get to do what I love to do because there were so many other outside pieces of data or things that I had to do in order to fulfill the obligations of the overarching school needs. But one thing I did learn as I taught longer was the more opportunity I gave my students to have ownership and be able to make decisions for themselves, the more success we had in the classroom. I will tell you, I still didn't have probably the top stores in, in all of the world for my end of course exams, but I knew that when the children left my classroom, they could sit down and program and analyze and understand data I did, I taught data analytics and, or the other one that I taught was web development. They could sit down and, and, and uh, code a web page. And that was really important to me in perspective to them also being able to move through that uh, quantitative piece of, of answering the multiple choice questions. But 
giving students a voice, that's number two, and thinking through how do you do that? It doesn't, again, one step at a time. How do we help students be able to make decisions? How do we let them drive goals and understanding that can be through classroom meetings, that could be through classroom or um, student government, it could be through small groups, whatever that looks like for your classroom. But also on the flip side, remember that student voice also can be shared through our business community. Encourage students to reach out and look for businesses or individuals that are doing something that they love. If someone is interested in cooking, if someone is interested in computers, if someone is interested in designing, how do we help them facilitate conversations giving them a voice to other individuals that are in the community. And community members also offering or sharing your expertise and saying, I'd be glad to come and speak with a student. The third thing that we're gonna talk about is, so the first two of course is thinking about how we creatively support schools. And that's through that community and business partnership, giving students a voice and, and that comes in many different forms. And the last piece is investing in our families. I read this really interesting statistic that I think may sort of shock you. Shock's not the right word. I mean, I really, I read it three different times, but this was a study done a couple of years ago. But according to the National Institutes of Health, a child's future academic success hinges most upon his or her mother's ability to read. I'll read that again. According to the National Institutes of Health, a child's future academic success hinges most upon his or her mother's ability to read. And there's there's more to that study, but I'm going to leave it there because this is something that really, you know, um, stuck with me. Because as I mentioned earlier, if we're thinking about the whole child approach, there's three pieces that I'm brought up. You've got your your education system, your community and business, and you have your families. There has been a switch, and I think that the value that we place on that partnership between our schools and our families is some it has been lost a little bit. And there's a lot put on the school to do both the academic piece, social and emotional, which, which we want to do as, as educators. We want to encourage and love and support our children. There's also this great investment that we need to make in our families. And that is opening lines of communication between our parents and our educators. And this needs to come from both ways. It needs to understand that from the family perspective, we can't always put our educators and our schools on the defensive. There is a shared partnership in helping to support our children. And I think sometimes that happens where we as, as parents can get our, our feathers up in the air if we think our child is, hasn't been treated fairly. Or, and of, there are there's times where this is true. But in general, the teachers and those that are working in the school system walk into that position because they have our children's best interest at heart and because they love working with kids and they love the opportunity of learning and growing and being successful. That's, that's who we are as educators. We just that passion to want to share knowledge and watch knowledge grow in our children. So I think this concept of 
really breaking down the barriers of communication between our schools and our parents and continuing that partnership where we even invite our parents into our schools, have them come in and work in the classrooms, be a part. This also goes back to that business and community partnership because many of our parents work full time and are in businesses uh, and, you know, working full nine to five jobs. And sometimes they can't come into the classroom. But even opening up now, we have this wonderful piece of technology, <clears throat> opening up a Zoom call where parents can pop in and say hello and have lunch with their student or come in and uh, see what a day is like at the school. And then vice versa, the same piece about a young person being able to see what it's like for their parents to work. You know, even during the pandemic, that was something that may, it was a positive for me, for my two children that were here. It, it, if I can think of a positive of this, it was really lovely to be a part of their learning. And as their teachers were moving through the online process, but then in the same token, my children were able to see me working and how I work and move through my day in terms of supporting educators, supporting students, and implementing content around computer science. And of course, I had to test drive some things uh, with, with my own two children. But investing in our families, bringing in families as a part of decision making in the school, which happens often through our PTA, but keeping that open line and supporting our families to know that education is an important piece of their pillars within their own families as well. Over the years, I've seen some wonderful communication that has happened, and then I've seen communication that's non-existent. It goes, it goes both ways. But remembering the importance of having an open line and a relationship where we're all moving in the right, right direction to support our students, you can only imagine the success that can occur. So the three things that I've really talked a bit about in terms of how do we really start thinking creatively about supporting our supporting education. As we begin to emerge out of the pandemic and the online learning is beginning to come to a close, but not, there is students are back in school some are still online, but as we move into the summer and think about into the into the fall, how are we going to take this pandemic and really create a true learning experience and growth in supporting our students and supporting the education system? If you were at home like I was and were in the midst of working full time and serving your students, uh, serving, serving your children and helping them navigate online learning, you could see the, the time and effort it takes for educators to work through and share content and make it engaging and keep students moving forward and learning. And you also probably could see that there were, there were some downfalls and there were some pieces of education that were exposed where we could, there could be better support. And that's where I think this experience of the pandemic and what we've learned and how we can really think about supporting the way in which we're working with our children and providing learning in a different way. 
Think about how as a education system, opening your doors to the business community and welcoming them in to support it, it support with resources. It could be financial. It could be coming in to share insights on how they're applying reading, writing, and arithmetic and computers and tech in their everyday work. Giving children a voice. Think about how you as a professional may be able to say, hey, I'm a professional in XYZ and I would love to be able to share my expertise with a student. It could be as an educator thinking about um, content they're teaching, whatever that may be, and reaching out to an individual in the community that could support you. Mathematics, think about reaching out to a chef, think about reaching out, reaching out to an architect, to a contractor, to a nutritionist, to a health person, to a fitness person. All of those people implement math and science on a regular basis. The last piece is, and, and, and for my educators, before I move on, for our educators, thinking through as we merge into a new school year and we have gained so much in our skill set in leveraging technology and online learning, how do we continue to use that and help give students a voice in how they learn? Even if they're in the classroom, can we still use that hybrid technique and elevate the way in which the kids are using technology to create and apply? It could be a little bit different. It could think about how could your classroom be a little bit different when you step back in and not so much nonsense of, of in school, out of school, two days in, one day virtual, you know, thinking about a bit more of that consistent structure. And the last piece is as families and as educational leadership and as educators, how do we really engage and invest in our families? When our families are a part of what we do at the school, it changes the dynamic and changes the conversation because we have support. And that defensive line can begin to come down. I can know so many times that teachers would have, have fear in their gut when they would go into a parent conference because they're afraid of being attacked for maybe something they did or didn't do. And I believe we can begin to alleviate that by really opening that communication between what's happening in the classroom with our parents and our parents opening up about what's happening in their everyday worlds. Supporting, coming and being a part of the classroom, what's happening after school, how can we support students after school and in school. So supporting the whole child means really thinking about not only their academic piece, but that social, emotional learning, that engaging them um, with their, their senses. And what I mean, I, I'm differentiating a bit between the senses and that social and emotional learning because the senses are, are that immediate way in which we can remember and attribute learning. And that's a part of the academic piece of sitting down and, you know, reading and writing and, and really applying and practicing and then applying meaning writing and then flipping over to that engaging of your senses and thinking through how can I bring this content to life 
and really show the full gamut of how planting a plant feels like putting your hands in the dirt, watering it and watching it grow. How can I take learning about shapes and geometry and creating and maybe molding shapes out of Play-Doh? What does it feel like to make a triangle versus what does it feel like to make a square? And what's the difference? And then taking that and, and engaging with angles and then putting those Play-Doh pieces to engage with uh, driving signs. What is a triangle when you're learning to drive or road signs and how does that help direct the flow and framework of how we engage with transportation? So many things that we can think about and giving our children the opportunity to really grow as full humans. And the best part is that we get to grow ourselves. Children just bring so much joy to our lives. And I was talking about this other day that I, I look forward to dinner at night with my own two boys when they give me their perspective of their peak and pits of the day or something they've learned or I'll say, is there something that made you laugh today? Or there's variety of questions. I try to ask different questions, not just how was your day, but I, it tickles me how they think about things so differently than I do. So here's my thought on my whole reasoning behind this is education is my passion. It's my career. It is to me the great equalizer. It is what is going to continue to bring change to our culture to creating the, the opportunities for the next generation to really be able to grow and excel and create, continue, create opportunities that we want to make our society better. I know in my heart that if we are, if we take the opportunity to really engage all of the stakeholders that come together, that create this sphere of learning for education, that we truly can create change. This is not going to happen overnight. This is a slow process. You have to imagine the tortoise and the hare. I've used this before. But it's going to be slow, small victories. And embrace the victories. If you bring in the business and community together, you will immediately see the response and it's kind of addictive. You want to do it again. If you begin to give student voice, just try one opportunity, one opportunity where they give a goal and you're able to succeed it. When you start working with your families and, and having them come in for a cup of coffee or having a weekly phone call or weekly video that you send home, you'll begin to see that they grow a relate that you're able to facilitate this relationship and it will change the way in which you're able to interact and grow. Same on the other side. We as parents, we as business owners, we as the community need to engage with our education system. It will bring joy and prosperity that you will not even know exist and it will nourish your soul helping children learn and grow, there just really isn't anything better. So my action item for everyone today is to think about how can you help in some capacity to think about supporting education in a more creative manner. 
Can you volunteer? Can you help give students a voice? Can you help by being on your local PTA or showing up, uh, sending a video of support to your educator as a parent? Small things go a long way and all those small steps will actually be able to create the sustainable change that we wanna see. As we move into the summer, I am looking forward to a steps in the right direction for where, or not right direction, I say steps in the direction of, of bringing a little bit more normalcy back to our lives and that our fall school year, as we kick off the school year in the fall, will bring more, a little more structure and organization for, for all of us to be able to support and be there for our students, our educators, and our businesses as we continue to grow. It's an honor that you've joined me today. Thank you for being a part of the Coding the Future family. Thank you for supporting my work. I have had wonderful um, comments and uh, notes from this community about the guests that I've been able to interview and how content or, or things that I've shared on the show have supported you as a small business, as an educator, or as a business um, member, community member. And for that, I am honored and so glad that you have been able to use this as a way for growth. It's a, for me, it's a dream come true to be able to have this radio show. I've mentioned before that when I was a child, I thought I was gonna be DJ Sharky Sharon. And that, being able to have this show is quite a joy. I'd love to share with you that this coming summer, my nonprofit, the Dottie Rose Foundation, will be offering a full array of summer camps and opportunities for young girls that are of the middle school age. If you are interested in supporting as being a part of supporting that whole child and would like to volunteer or financially donate or be a part of our work in some capacity, please reach out to us at hello at dottyrosefoundation.org. We are always seeking volunteers. We are always seeking a financial support and that will help support a young lady be able to experience either a week or more than one week of camp with us. My goal is the nonprofit is that piece of community pillar that supports our schools by offering opportunities for young people to extend the knowledge that they're learning in the classroom outside through the work that we do with the foundation. Most of our work is done locally, but we are expanding if you're interested in learning more about what we do at the Daddy Rose Foundation and supporting uh, girls in computer science and technology, send us a note. We'd love to support you and do a workshop or support a camp in your community. And lastly, for my educators, as we begin to embrace into our summer vacation, take some time to really center yourself again on your purpose and why we, hear, we are here as educators. Think about how we can learn from this pandemic and use this to engage our community more, to give our students more voice, and to engage our families that as we walk into the, the new fall school year, we have a sense of we are empowered and we have learned and grown and we can take our teaching and our experience for our students to a whole nother level. 
and for my education leaders, for those that are those that are working in education, if you're interested in knowing more about the work that I do with schools and helping them to really embrace that whole child concept and implement computer science and technology that allows you to take thinking through core content to another level, reach out to us at the.consulting.co. Again, that's the.consulting.co, C-O. And we would love to have a conversation with you about professional development, coaching, strategy, or how we can help you take that whole child approach through tech to a whole nother level. Thank you again for everyone that's joined us. You can find uh, Coding the Future on the Voice America Network. Um, you can also find this on any of the podcasts. I please, please um, ask you to follow us and leave a review. I'd love to be able to share some of those reviews on our platform uh, here on the show. And uh, you can follow us at Dottie Rose Foundation, at the dot underscore consulting on any of the social media platforms, Coding the Future on your Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. All right, everybody. Thinking creatively about supporting education. How do we really truly step into being a, a taking this opportunity to support, engage, and embrace all that is education and what that looks like for our students moving forward. Hope everyone has a great week and stay tuned for another incredible guest expert next week. You've had me today, Dr. Sharon Jones, and next week you'll have another expert that will share all about their work and love around tech and moving our careers forward. Thanks everybody and have a wonderful week. From face-to-face -face training to blended training techniques, The Dot Consulting delivers distinct advantage for organizations looking to grow. We help you invest in technology knowledge through training, experimental learning, and community connections. Employees create an overall collective sharpness, savviness, and greater productivity using technology as a tool, thus increasing the technological speed and quality of the expertise in your organization. The Dot Consulting, a new level of tech savvy, Visit the dot consulting dot co. Thank you so much for listening to Coding the Future. Please join your host, Dr. Sharon Jones, for another edition next Wednesday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time. That's 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll talk then.